And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us uh, to preach. Amen. Double amen. Amen by Michael, amen by me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the choice of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Bigley ends the, the longest sentence in all the Bible. Verses three through 14 in Greek are one sentence. The ESV has broken it down into four sentences, but in actuality it's one sentence. It's like this spontaneous, outrageous, theological explosion of praise from the Apostle Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in, blessed us with in, in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might exist, might be to the presence of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory one sentence and this morning I just wanted to focus on verse 3 but read the whole sentence uh, for context uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3 is this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which raises this fascinating question, a rather obvious question I would think, and that is who really could uh, bless God and, and why would God want to be blessed by us or by the Apostle Paul? And then here's another question, why would Paul want to bless God? I mean really? I watch Christian TV, listen to Christian radio, and the, and the preachers are always going on about God's blessings, and then they define it as like, um, you, you know, uh, uh, the blessing of health, the blessing of relationships, financial blessings. But Paul is in prison, probably in Rome. At the end of his life, Paul has no financial blessings. Most of his relationships are broken or severely strained. His health is failing, his eyes are shot, he has a thorn in the flesh, a messenger quote from Satan, and soon he's gonna be beheaded. By worldly standards, Paul is a failure. In his own words, the scum of the earth, the offscouring of all things, and he writes, blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
So is Paul smoking crack? I mean, maybe he's in prison, met some guys there, he's smoking crack. I mean, seriously, what, what's going on there? What does this mean? I mean, we, I was thinking, what would I prefer? It'd be something like this. God has blessed us with a Hyundai Sonata in every garage. Now that, I get, I get excited about, you know? But spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. What's that? I think we think spiritual means like nothing. You know, some vague concept like love or truth, just vague ideas lacking in substance. And, and heavenly places means like nowhere. So every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is all of nothing in nowhere. That's how we read it. And what does blessing mean? You know, I'm a pastor, and so on holidays at the relative's house, someone will always say, Peter, would you say the blessing? Would you bless the food? And I kind of don't know what that means. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, under the authority of his blood, I bless you, cold ham and scalloped potatoes. <laughs> Nothing happens. Sometimes people say, Lord, would you bless this food to our bodies? And under my breath, I usually pray, oh God, please don't, don't, I mean, if, don't bless it to her, but just let the chocolate cake pass right on, right on through. That would, that would be a great blessing for me. Um, sometimes I hear people say, God bless it, which I think means God damn it. It's like code word for something else. <laughs> Mostly I've been blessed when I've sneezed. People say, God bless you, and yet, I don't feel any different, I feel just the same. So God bless you must mean something like, I acknowledge the dry booger in your nostril. <laughs> or it's God bless you, which means something like, God knows your boogers. <laughs> or, or, or maybe it means, God would like you to cover your mouth when, when you sneeze. He sneezed. Debris. Movement. Okay, now at this point I'm disgusted, and I'm grossed out, okay, I'm grossed out by it, and at first I think I'm gonna go off on this guy, and then I decided, wait a second, Dane, don't do that, take the high road, try to be polite, so I turned to him, and this is what I said, I looked at him and I went, uh, God bless you. <laughs> yeah, I said it like that, I said it like that, God bless you, which, you know, is God bless you, but it kind of sounded like, cover your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, incognito. I turn to the guy. I say, I say God bless you, by the way, when someone sneezes. I don't say bless you. I don't say that because I'm not the Lord. I can't do that. I'm just a messenger for big guns upstairs, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, what's a blessing? In Greek, uh, the word is eulagia here in this passage, eulagia, from eu meaning good and logos meaning word. It's where we get our word eulogy, uh, a good word. Eulageo, the, the verb translates the Hebrew word barak meaning to bless. So regardless of your political persuasion, that's a pretty good name for a little boy with no daddy. Blessing. Well anyway, the Bible is, is basically the story of the eulagia. The, the, the blessing. Genesis 1, God speaks a good word and creation happens. 
The first thing that he blesses specifically, 128, God blessed them, Adam, male and female. Next thing he blesses is the seventh day. Then he blesses Noah and his sons. Then in chapter 12, he blesses Abraham, who is blessed in order to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Then things really get wild as we follow the drama of this promised blessing, this promised seed. You remember Esau despises his birthright, and so Jacob steals the blessing. Along about zero, everybody's wondering, where's the blessing? I mean, maybe... Abraham sneezed and God just said, bless you. And he meant cover your mouth and Abraham took it another way or something. Where's the blessing? 1986, two psychologists, Gary Smalley and John Trent, published this great little book titled The Blessing. Some of you probably probably read it. In it, they they isolate five components of a biblical blessing. Uh, Number one, meaningful touch like the holy kiss. Number two, a spoken message that is a a logos or a word, a word that number three attaches high value to the one being blessed, and number four pictures a special future for the one being blessed, and number five expresses an active commitment to fulfill the blessing. In scripture, the blessing usually comes through the Father. And God has just been talking about God the Father. And when we think about it this way, well then we begin to think, well maybe it really actually does mean something. In their book, Smalley and Trent identify seven types of people that are produced from what they call blessing deprivation. Number one, the seekers, who search all their life for intimacy, but can't handle intimacy when they get it. Number two, the shattered. Fear, anxiety, depression, emotional withdrawal are their their symptoms. Number three, the smotherers. They're like sponges that just suck every bit of life and emotional energy out of their family and friends and relatives, groping for a blessing that those people can never give. Number four, the angry. They're emotionally chained to to their parents in, in anger. And so bitterness and griping and complaint becomes their life. And five, the detached. Better to be lonely than wounded is is their motto. Number six, the driven. They try to earn the blessing with accomplishments, good works, try to earn the blessing. But if you earn the blessing, it's not the blessing, right? Because the blessing is grace, it's a gift. Number seven, the seduced. They nurture addictions in order to cover the pain. So blessing deprivation, seeking, shattered, smothering, angry, detached, driven, and seduced people. Pretty much sounds like everyone I know. (laughs) Sorry about that, but at least to some degree, right? I mean, maybe we all suffer from blessing deprivation. So even if we deny it, maybe we all have daddy issues. Now, who has my father? Uh-oh, someone has some daddy issues. Nothing could be my father from the truth. Who? You said my father. No, I didn't. How? Didn't. Did not. Shabba. For me, this is a dad issue. Dead issue. Dead dad. Dead be dad. Oh. Daddy didn't love me. When I was first baptized, when I was criticized, when I was ostracized, when I was jazzercised, stacking kidney pies, when I was modernized, when I was circumcised, Daddy wasn't there. 
To take me to the fair To change my underwear Daddy wasn't there Daddy wasn't there, please! So Austin, if you know that movie, really doesn't have peace. He's driven to earn his father's blessing. And it turns out that Dr. Evil, okay, that's bad, the guy in the cage, that guy doesn't have peace either. He's detached and angry because he lost his father in a car accident and was raised by evil Belgians. That's a problem a lot of people have, but anyway. Another character in the movie is a guy named Fat Bastard, and uh, that's a term, Bastard, a terrible term that's used to refer to to children born outside of the covenant of, of marriage. Born of a father not committed uh, to the child or to the mother, born without the covenant blessing. It's a term that hopefully has gone out of vogue, but it means illegitimate. About 18 years ago, a single mother came to my church with a beautiful little four-year-old boy. She was dating this guy, I think she even met him at church. But everyone could tell that he was not the father of the boy. He was white, Janiel was white, and, and Jarek, four-year-old Jarek, was this beautiful chocolate brown. And I remember that Jarek just could not sit still. It was like he knew something wasn't right, and he just could not sit still. He was always looking for trouble. He could not stop. He could not rest. He, he could not Sabbath stop. He could not enjoy that blessed seventh day. And you see, I think we're all like Jarek. Deep down inside, we're all terrified that we are illegitimate. And so we find trouble. And we laugh at Austin Powers movies to keep from crying over our own daddy issues. Eight and a half years ago, March 8th, 2004, I received this wonderful email from from a guy named Bob. He wrote that in prayer, he felt that God uh, had asked him to ask me to help him ask my dad to bless him. Dan Hyatt, to bless him. Because he had asked his father for 10 years to give him the blessing, and his father said over and over to him, find your own blessing, which you know means it's not a blessing. And so he asked if I thought it was possible. I had to write back and say, I'm sorry, Bob, but today, March 8th, my father died. You know, I think we all long for the Father's blessing, and so we all suffer the symptoms of blessing deprivation. I see all seven in me. Sometimes I see all seven at once. And I had a great father who constantly gave me his blessing. So maybe it's not that we haven't been blessed. Maybe somehow we haven't been able to believe or receive the blessing. You know, Esau despised his birthright and thus the blessing and then missed the blessing. Maybe we despise it and and miss it because we think it's nothing. When in fact, it's absolutely everything. So Paul writes, blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. What's a spiritual blessing? Is a person a spiritual blessing? 
How does God make a, a person a nefesh? Does he, doesn't he, he breathe his ruach, his spirit, into some clay? Last weekend, I did a funeral for a man who shot himself in the head, 44 years old. His father had died and he has lost hope and, and his mother sat there in the second row at, at his funeral weeping. She was a saint. Is her son a spiritual blessing? Will she get him back? Am I a spiritual blessing? Will God get me back? In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes that Christ became a life-giving spirit. In 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, Paul writes that Christ will fill all things. So doesn't that mean that all things are or will become some sort of spiritual blessing? And are spiritual blessings just ideas lacking in substance? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul teaches that we'll receive a spiritual body, immortal rather than mortal, imperishable rather than perishable, a body like Christ's body. And do you remember when Christ rose from the dead with his new body? Do you remember what his new body could do? Walk through walls. So was, was the wall more real than his body or was his body more real than the wall? Are spiritual blessings like truth and love less real or more real than this world? According to scripture, the truth is Jesus. And God is love. There can be nothing more real than God. And God created all things with his good word. That is Jesus, the, the truth, the word. All substance is continually, constantly dependent upon God's word. His logos. So, so Paul writes, you have been, not will be, but have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Heavenly places. Ephesians 2, 6, you have been seated. You have been seated in the heavenly places with Christ. So when and where are the heavenly places? Remember what Jesus came preaching? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what at hand means in, in Greek? At hand, <laughs> like right there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here, now. So check this out. All things are created by God's good word, his blessing, and all things are filled or being filled with that word, that blessing, Jesus. We are created by God's blessing and we are or are being filled with that blessing, the life of that blessing, like the blood of that blessing, the, the wine of the kingdom, Jesus. So every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is definitely not nothing in nowhere. It's like everything in everywhere. Even filling my nothing and my nowhere. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is all things filled with love and radiating truth. All things saturated with a shared eternal life, saturated with grace, the wine of the kingdom, the blood of the covenant. 
You have been, not will be, have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heaven of you. Have been blessed in Christ with every spirit, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the, in the heavenly places, which, which for me raises a rather obvious question. How come I don't feel blessed? How come I don't taste the, the wine? If I have all these blessings, why don't I, I feel more blessed? I mean, even after we find Christ, like a, you know, a tree that we find full of luscious fruit in a, in a garden somewhere, and even after we take the blessing, why does the drink not satisfy and the banquet tastes like ash in our mouths? Why? There be the chest, inside be the gold. shows us for what we really are. We are not among the living, and so we cannot die, but neither are we dead. For too long I've been parched of thirst and unable to quench it. Too long I've been starving to death and haven't died. I feel nothing, not the wind on my face, nor the spray of the sea, nor the warmth of a woman's flesh. You best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Maybe we're like ghosts. Existing in a ghost story. Inside of a, a real story. Maybe we're experiencing a curse. Inside this incredible story of blessing. Or experiencing a curse for the sake of, of the blessing. Well, whatever the case, we think that Heaven is a change in our circumstances, you know what I mean? Like getting the really good wine, getting the really great bread. We think it's a change in our circumstances and certainly there's something to that, but maybe more than a change in my circumstances, heaven is a change in me. Maybe the problem isn't the wine of the kingdom, but my ability to taste the wine. You could see that, right, in the video, he drinks the wine and it just flows right out of him. Maybe I'm surrounded by love, upheld by love, a kingdom of love, and yet I don't have a capacity for love because I take love and I use love. I think I've earned love and therefore I own love and so cannot perceive love. Maybe I don't have a capacity for love, real love. In, in other words, maybe I haven't acquired a taste for grace. And grace is the wine of the kingdom of heaven. 
Well, if you caught me when I wasn't preparing a sermon or trying to act holy or something and you were to ask me, Peter, imagine heaven. Imagine heaven, what would you imagine? I would imagine myself stuck on a tropical island with my bride and a bottle of wine. And if you were to ask me then, uh, okay, well, now picture hell. Well, I might picture myself struck on a tropical island with my bride having a fight. And I might drink the wine, but for a totally different reason. I mean, have you ever noticed how two people can be in the exact same situation? It's heaven for one and hell for the other. Maybe heaven is getting stuck on some island with our Father in heaven and everyone he chooses to bless. A friend uh, sent this to me, cut it out of the newspaper for me. I, I don't think you can read the words, so I'll, I'll read them to you. It's the opus, you know, I think it was Bloom, Bloom County or something like that before, but opus the penguin is talking to Lola Granola and he says this, Lola Granola, nice to have you back from your last spiritual quest. Lola replies, alas, they never did warm to the idea of nude yoga. The Amish are like that, replies Opus. But they sure like heaven, and I like heaven too, says Lola. And, and Opus then asks, well, do you think all people get to heaven, Lola? Every single one. Liberals, evolutionists, feminists, ACL lawyers, ACLU lawyers, asks Opus, yep. Kennedy Democrats, French people, manly women who don't shave, they're all up there, yep. With Jerry Falwell, Yep. Opus thinks for a minute and then he replies, goodness, he must be annoyed. Eternally, replies Lola. <laughs> now I have more in common with Jerry Falwell than Lola Granola. I I'm just saying perhaps one person's eternal blessing is another person's eternal punishment. Eternal punishment until they change. Why? Because eternal things don't change. Only our names for eternal things change. So maybe heaven isn't a change in my circumstances so much as a change in me. Maybe the wine of the kingdom is an acquired taste, to use C.S. Lewis's term. You know, when I was two or three years old, I didn't like wine. And if you stuck me on some uh, desert island at two years old with Susan Hyatt in a string bikini, well, it would have just been hell for everybody, everybody involved. I remember trying to explain the birds and the bees to Jonathan when he was little. And, and he stopped me and he said, Dad, please stop, you're freaking me out. <laughs> and I said, well, listen, buddy, um, this might be some interesting information one day. I mean, maybe you ought to listen. I remember Elizabeth just sobbing in my arms because she didn't want breasts. And I said, well, honey, don't make any rash decisions. I mean, your feelings may change later on. Maybe sin is like a rash decision because we don't trust that God can one day change our feelings. And maybe this body of flesh is like an inability, or better yet, maybe it's like an immature ability to taste the great banquet and enjoy the wine of the kingdom. Two weeks ago, I did another funeral. It was for a middle-aged woman up in Genesee who died of cancer. The night she died, I went up to the house, spoke with the family, 
Her nephew was there, and after we spoke, he wanted to talk. I'm gonna call him Jerry. He'd had a, a lot of wine, and uh, he was wearing his heart on his sleeve. We sat outside in the dark. I had my arm around him as he just kind of fell apart, and he began to confess things to me, sexual desires that he just could not change. He said this, he said, Peter, my, my aunt really loved me, and now my aunt's dead, and my mom's going to hell. My mom says I'm going to hell. Maybe he felt the other way, I don't know, but he said, my aunt loved me, she's dead, my, my mom says I'm going to hell. I, I, Peter, will I ever see my, my aunt again because I cannot change, I can't change. Well, my heart just broke for him. Breaks for every guy that struggles with this. Just broke for him. And I said something like, well, Jerry, Jesus says that he makes all things new. And if you want to know that he makes you new, well, we can pray right here, right now, and, and you can know it. But if you're asking me if what you're doing is a sin, well, you need to know that some Christians say that it isn't a sin. But it seems to me that the Bible says it is sin. In fact, Paul appears to write that no man doing that will inherit the kingdom. But Jerry, in the very same verse, Paul writes that no adulterers, no greedy people will inherit the kingdom. Jerry, according to Jesus, I commit adultery in my heart like all the time. And Jerry, this is America. I honestly don't even know anyone that's not greedy, that doesn't covet. That means wanting what your neighbor has. I can't even imagine myself not coveting. Jerry, it's like my nature. And so unless God changes my nature, I will not inherit the kingdom of heaven and nobody I know will. Ephesians 1.10, this is the plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ. Ephesians 5.5, 5, be sure of this, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom. I mean, it sounds like everyone is ultimately going to heaven, but when they get to heaven, no one will have the same heart an old heart, a dead heart, a sinful heart, full of old desires. You see, maybe there's something in desiring sameness, in men refusing women, or women the bride refusing the groom, that is like this deep rejection of diversity, which is somehow the wine of the kingdom. And maybe there's something in adultery and, and lust that, that is a deep rejection of covenant faithfulness, which is also the wine of the kingdom. And maybe there's something in greed that is the exact opposite of the relentless sacrificial love that is the very blood of Christ, the very wine of the kingdom. So unless Christ gets his bride to welcome his masculine presence, and unless Christ gets her to rejoice in covenant faithfulness, and unless Christ gets her to love love as he has loved her, well then for her, heaven will burn like hell. Unless God the Father gets his children to want his blessings, 
then blessing them with all things will do no good. In other words, he can't bless them with all things until he blesses them with a new heart. You know, a spoiled child is a, is a child that receives all things but can't enjoy anything because he has a greedy heart, an arrogant heart, a, a dead heart. He, he thinks he deserves the blessings, which means they aren't blessings, for grace is the substance of all blessing. Grace is the Father's heart. You see, a spoiled child desires his father's blessings more than the blessing that is his father. A spoiled child desires his father's things more than he desires his father's heart, and so he must suffer the loss of all things. He must suffer the loss of all things in order to learn to love his father's heart. He must suffer the loss of everything in order to receive anything with a new heart. Paul sits in a Roman prison cell having suffered the loss of all things having counted them as refuse. He sits in a Roman prison cell having suffered the loss of all things and he cannot contain himself as he tells the Ephesians of his father's heart. Jesus. Jesus from the bosom of the Father is the Father's heart. Jesus is the eulogia, the blessing of the Father, the word of the Father. In Romans, Paul writes this, listen closely. He has given us his own son. Will he not give us also all things with him. What, what do you want? Listen, he has given us his own son. Will he not also give us all things with him? He's given us his heart. Will he not also give us all things with him? Of course you cannot change your own heart. Of course you can't change your own will. What would you will the change with? Your will, that's the thing that needs to be changed. Of course you can't change your own desires. What would you desire the change with? Of course you can't. But God and his word of blessing can and will. Well, I didn't say all that to Jerry, of course. Part of it I did. But I did say, Jerry, you just need to know you have a father. And Jerry, he absolutely adores you. He is, he is nuts about you. His, his word is Jesus. Ask him to help and he will help you. He'll lead you into all truth. I don't know all truth, but he will lead you into all truth and he'll give you a new heart in order to inherit all things so you'll be eternally, fully, and totally satisfied. I don't know how long it will take, Jerry. At least a lifetime. Maybe longer, but you can trust Jesus. He is your Father's blessing already given to you. And you didn't even have to sneeze. <laughs> now, I, I didn't actually say the part about sneezing, but I, but I should have, you know. And we prayed. Jerry prayed, asking for Jesus the blessing, and, and Jesus showed up. I'm still not even, quite even sure exactly what happened or if Jerry did, but I believe it, Jesus showed up. Now please don't get stuck on the details of judging sins. 
which is probably just more sin. I'm, I'm just trying to say that maybe God really has, already has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And even now with his word, he's creating within us a new heart. Why? So we can see it, the blessing he's already given us, so we can receive it, so we can believe it, so we can enjoy it forever without end. Well, anyway, as Paul's writing this in the jail cell, this one sentence, he's clearly trying to describe something for which human words and phrases and sentences just are not adequate. They all break down. As if he had been caught up into like the third heaven, and now he was trying to describe it. I had an experience kind of like that several years ago. I've told you about it numerous times because it was like my Damascus Road experience. It was, on, it was on a day that I decided God didn't talk to me, that God didn't care about me, that for me, my father just wasn't there. And that night, I was literally pinned to the floor by the power of the Spirit. <laughs> Believe me, this Spirit is more solid than this room. I was pinned to the floor by the power of the Spirit and the eyes of my heart were enlightened. I don't know how else to describe it, but it was like I saw that God was literally everywhere and every when in my life blessing me. And I literally could not stop praising his glory. I saw that all creation for all time was speaking my Father's blessing. It had always been so, I just had not seen it. The experience lasted for about an hour. I don't know really how long. I think it for, was about an hour. And, and when it was over, for about two weeks, I had the strangest sensation. I could not worry. I mean, I remember trying, because I think that's probably like one of my big sins. I, I could not worry. And I just was not interested in my normal sins. In other words, I seem to suffer from no blessing deprivation. Now, gradually, over the next few weeks, it wore off. But this is what I think God was saying to me. Peter, this is your inheritance, and you will possess it. And you see, I think he's saying it to all of us. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so you may say, well, that's just kind of interesting information. That's great to know, but what can I do about it? Well, I'm not sure exactly. Try not to sin. Or try to hate sin, at least. Try to hate sin because sin numbs you to the blessing. And come to worship, you know. Come to worship and, and uh, stare at the blessing. Try to re receive the blessing. But above all, don't think you can earn the blessing. So what can you do? Above all, maybe do nothing is the very best thing you can do. In, in Hebrew, Shabbat, Sabbath. You know, all sin at its root is, is an effort to seize the blessing. Like pirates seize gold. Like Adam and Eve seized the fruit from the tree. And, and so Shabbat, stop. How do I stop? Remember Jarek? Just couldn't stop, couldn't keep still. His mom, Janiel, was white. Her new boyfriend, Andy, was white. The skin of four-year-old Jarek was this beautiful 
chocolate brown and looking at him, I could just tell it, he, he felt it. Well, Andy and Janiel decided to get married and I performed the wedding. Jarek was the ring bearer. During the ceremony, Jarek down, walked down the aisle, he, he did his thing with the ring, but then he just, you know, he couldn't stand there. He just started looking for, for trouble. I bet his heart was telling him, Jarek, you got no daddy, now this guy's taking, taking your mommy. By the time we got to the vows, someone else was holding Jarek, uh, someone else was holding the ring, and someone was holding Jarek. They had him quarantined under strong arms in the front row of the church. J Janiel said her vows, Andy said his vows. Jarek was squirming in his seat, rebelling against the institution. I, 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 was, I was starting the ring ceremony when suddenly Andy stopped me. And in front, of, in front of everybody, he turned around and he just, he, he fixed his gaze upon Jarek and he said, Jarek! And Jarek froze. Everyone froze. He said, Jarek, I love you with all my heart and I will always be your daddy and you will always be my son. And Jarek Connolly did not move a muscle for the rest of the service. It was the power of the blessing. I think the letter to the Ephesians is like that blessing. When we come to this place, I think the communion table is like the presence of that blessing. And if you think to yourself, Gosh, I wish that I had Jarek's blessing. Don't you see? You have way more than just Jarek's blessing. I wrote back to Bob saying, I'm sorry, Bob, but my dad just died. But at the funeral, I preached, and I, and I mentioned Bob's request. I didn't know this at the time, but Bob was there. I mentioned his request, and then I quoted Jesus saying, my father is your father, and I didn't just mean Dan Hyatt. After the service, Bob wrote me in tears, and he said, Peter, when you said that, when it felt like this warm thing just came over me, but Peter, I have it. My father's blessing. At the end of the Awesome Powers movie, gospel, it's the gospel. Dr. Evil turns into Dr. Good when it's revealed that Austin's father is Dr. Evil's father and he loves both of them and then Austin breaks out into a song, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. <laughs> so touching. Andy and Janiel moved uh, to Texas and produced three little brothers for Jarek and six little sisters for Jarek. Andy emailed me last Thursday and he told me, Peter, Jarek's doing well. In fact, he just started his first week at West Point Academy. He'll have to sit still there. <laughs> and, and I'm sure Jarek is, isn't perfect. I'm just saying that receiving the blessing changes you. And maybe God arranges all things Listen closely. Maybe God arranges all things, even blessing deprivation, so that at the right moment, at the right place, at the right time, you would hear his blessing and receive his blessing and bless him in return. Because you want to. Well, no matter what, no kid was ever more legitimate 
than Jarrett Conley or you. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the place, and this is an incredible mystery, but the place or, or, the, or the moment that God the Father forms the covenant, the eternal covenant. All eyes are fixed on him, except yours, because you're being bad. You're anxious and insecure and worried about yourself and causing trouble in the front row. When in Christ, God the Father picks up the bread and he says, this is my body given to you. Take it, eat it. And in the same way, he takes the cup saying, this is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Take it, drink it. All eyes are fixed on him. And then he stops and he gazes at you and he says your name. He says your name. And then he says this. Look, look, look. I want you to see. I love you with all my heart. I will always be your daddy and you will always be my son, always be my little girl, always be mine. And so he calls you to come to the table and ingest the banquet and taste the wine. In Jesus' name, in Christ, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Dark cup is wine, light cup is juice. They are both the the blessing of your Father. Let's worship. And I think God the Father has something to say to you. I think it's this. Okay, it's not like I received some kind of prophetic word, but I'm pretty sure it's this. Maybe I did, and I just don't know it. But this is what I think he wants to say to you. Thank you. You blessed me. See how that worked? I blessed you, and you blessed me. And that's what it's all about. It's called love. And that's where you're headed. And that's what you're going to get. That's your inheritance. And you will possess it. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.